And this is God's word to you, his children. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we want to grow in our uh, knowledge of you, knowledge of your grace. We ask that you would use your word uh, to the, and that you would put it in our hearts, that it would abide in us, abide in our minds, abide in our souls, and that uh, you would teach us about you and who you are and that you would draw our hearts to you by your spirit. And so, uh, Lord, I um, pray that you would uh, forgive my sins, for you know that they are many, and uh, that you would take your perfect, holy word, inerrant word, and through a flawed teacher, you would communicate to your children who you love by your Holy Spirit. And would you open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf? And uh, would you uh, lead us to embrace you with faith, embrace the gospel. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, last week, if you were here last week, we, uh, the topic we were talking about was the topic of assurance. You know, how, how do I know that I am really a Christian? You know, we're all, uh, the church is, we all have a sense that even though this is the church, there's probably some people who are really Christians, some people who are fake Christians. How do you know which one you are? And we, if you were here, we said, you know, it's really very simple. Do you, do you believe the gospel? That Jesus was God come to us, died for our sins, and reconciled us to God? Do you just simply believe that? And has that hit you in a way that now you have begun to love people? Has it caused you to be more of a loving person because of that? And uh, so the question was simply, am I a Christian? This week, we're talking about that within the Christian life, you know, once we've kind of established that, that we are Christians, that in the Christian life, there are different stages uh, to being a Christian, that uh, the Christian life is an organic life. You know, it's a, it's a living, growing life that goes through stages. And so here's uh, John in this passage. He's talking to a church, and he says, well, listen, in the church there's some little children spiritually, little children, there's some young men spiritually, there's some fathers uh, spiritually, and, uh, you know, I should just comment that, you know, some of you gals might take offense at that. Well, there's just young men and fathers. What about, where are the ladies in the church? Well, let me just say this. You know, the Bible sometimes speaks to uh, guys and gals in the church as as the sons of God, which, by the way, if you're a, if you're a woman, you want to be a son of God because the sons in, in Jesus' day were the heirs. And uh, the women are joint heirs with the men, and uh, we're all joint heirs. So you want to be sons. But on the other hand, you know, the church is called the Bride of Christ. And so the men, they have to be the Bride of Christ, too. So it goes both ways, all right? We're both guys and gals swapping back and forth. But here he says that there's this, this organic life 
of um, growing from being a little child into a young man into a father within your Christian life. It's an organic life. And, um, and which makes sense because the Bible says that when you become a Christian, you're born again. You're starting a new life. You're, you're like a new person. And just as in a biological life, when you're born, you're going to grow, you're going to learn, um, you're going to transform, you're going to change. And I'll tell you why this, I think, is important, is because uh, it's important to understand that, on the one hand, that the Christian life is organic, um, that it's a gradual growth that we have. And you know, you know how that is. If you're living with a child and you, you try to look at them for a long time and you're feeding them and I'm see, I'm going to see if I can watch them grow. It's not going to happen. You can't watch them grow because it happens gradually and slowly. It's all of a sudden, you know, my daughter's birthday was this last week. She just turned eight. And Shannon and I say, wow, you're eight. What happened? How did that happen? All of a sudden you changed, you know, and, uh, and it, it happened gradually. And I, I remember that with Shannon and I, we, when we first got married, we went to a little church out in the county called Wise Lake Chapel. And we were there for three years when we were first married and we grew and we changed and we learned a tremendous amount. And we had a lot of people say that to us. They say, wow, we've just seen you change so much over these three years, and we, didn't, we hardly noticed it, you know, we hardly noticed it was happening, and so the growth is like biological growth, that it happens very gradually, but there's another thing, you know, about growth, actually, I was talking to Renee Fredette, I, I talked about this maybe a year ago or so, and she, you know, she's a doctor, kind of scientific-minded person, and she said, you know, when I think of a growing plant or a, a, a child growing, it's actually, I don't think of it as kind of slow and gradual, I think of all kinds of activity that's happening, you know, that when you, uh, on the cellular level, there's multiplication happening, and there's, I don't know, all kinds of chemicals, Why? you ask her what's going on, I don't know, but, uh, but there's activity happening. So on the one hand, it seems like it's slow and gradual, but there's all kinds of activity happening. And I think that's very much how our life, uh, spiritual life is, is that visibly, it's, you can't see it. It's slow and it's gradual, but in the kind of hidden uh, cellular level, the, <laughs> the subconscious level, the hidden level, God is at work. There's activity happening. The Spirit of God is working within us. And so... Uh, this is what we're looking at, uh, the, the growth of the Christian life. And that's what uh, John here, uh, in this letter, uh, he's writing to a group of churches in Ephesus. Um, and he's saying that on the one hand, I want you to know that you have eternal life. But on the other hand, I want you to know that in the Christian life, there's going to be stages and you're going to grow. And um, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at two aspects of this growth. Um, the experience of growing in your Christian life. And uh, we're first going to look at the stages of growth. You know, he says the, the little children and then the fathers and the young men. We're going to look at these different stages. But then secondly, we're all also going to look at the obstacles to growth. What are the things that, are, that um, keep us from maturing spiritually? And what, this is what John calls the love of the world. What does that mean? You should not love the world. So uh, we'll talk about that. So these two things, stages of growth and uh, the obstacles to growth. And the first is this, the stages of growth. So uh, John identifies three stages in Christian growth. And the first one is, he says that some Christians are little children, right? He says this in verse, uh, verse 12, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then again at the end of verse 13, I write to you, uh, children, because you know the Father. 
And uh, he says these two things to describe the experience of being a, a little child new to the Christian faith um, is that, you're, uh, that your sins are forgiven for his name's sake and that you've come to know the Father. And what these two things are is that the, they describe the beginning of the Christian life. The beginning of the Christian life has two parts to it. Atonement, the experience of atonement, and adoption. Atonement and adoption. What is atonement? Atonement... You know, it comes from at one mint. Um, it's becoming at one with God. And what the beginning of the Christian life, first of all, begins with is realizing that the evil in the world, you know, there's all kinds of problems in the world. The world is, there's people killing each other and, and uh, there's bitterness and there's greed and there's all kinds of things that we can see uh, happening in the world that it's not the way it's supposed to be. And the beginning of the Christian life is to say that that evil is not just something that's happening out there somewhere in the world, but that's something that's happening in here. It's not something that humanity is doing. It's something that Nate has living inside of him. Is there is a rebellion that we are living in? Uh, that our nature is in rebellion against the way that God has called us to live and way, made the world to live, and uh, and that that rebellion that lives inside of us is an offense to God. It is saying to God, "We don't want you in our life." And so the beginning of the Christian life is realizing that, and, uh, and that's what the Bible calls sin, is that sin is living in us. We have this nature that's in rebellion against God, and that what God has done is he says, I want to be at peace with you. I want to be at one with you again. And so what he does is he sends Jesus, as, uh, who dies on the cross in our place for our sins. And what God is saying, if you've ever, you know, you might wonder the question, why do I have to believe in Jesus dying on the cross in order for God to accept me and to be a Christian? Why do I need to believe in that? Well, these are his terms of reconciliation. You know, I, he says, listen, I want to be at peace with you. These are the terms. It's through embracing the sacrifice that Jesus has done for you. And so one of the things that, that what, uh, what John says here is that you little children, uh, your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake, for Jesus' name's sake, because of what Jesus has done for us. And so if we have the tendency to say, you know, I'm, uh, yeah, I believe God is forgiving because, you know, I'm, I'm trying really hard. He knows that even though I make mistakes, I really try hard, and I'm really actually a good person at heart. If that's kind of your idea of how Christianity works, you're actually, I'm, I'm sorry to say you're missing the point. <laughs> the point is that we don't try hard. Our, rebel, our, our hearts are in rebellion against God, and yet he's come to us. And it's because of Jesus. It's not because we have some hidden goodness way down in us. It's because of what Jesus has done for us, that God has made us at peace, made us at one. And that's what the atonement is, is Jesus' blood is making us at one with God. So that's one piece. The other piece, so atonement and also adoption. And uh, you see that there in the, in the other verse, in verse 13, I write to you children because you know the Father. And he uses familial language to describe what it means to be a Christian is that you've been adopted by God. You've been brought into his family. You have a new father who loves you, cares for you, protects you. And that experience of knowing God as our father. And of course, when we know God as our father, it's not just us who knows God as father. You all know God as father as well. So, uh, so we begin to have brothers and sisters who share our father, right? And we become a family. So there's this social, uh, horizontal part of becoming a Christian well, of, uh, as well, that we both uh, have the atonement, but we also know God as our father. And so the first stage of the Christian life is um, to embrace God's terms of reconciliation. He says, I want to be at peace with you. This is, this is the way to peace is through my son Jesus' death on the cross. But also to know him as our loving father. Now, what's interesting here is that's how John talks about the first stage. 
is little children. You've embraced that. You've embraced the gospel. You've embraced God as Father. You've come into the church. You've become part of his family. And then he doesn't do the stages of the Christian life in order. Because he doesn't go from little children to young men. He goes from little children to the fathers, right? Because uh, you see that there in uh, verse 13. I'm writing to you fathers. That's the second stage is fathers. I I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And it's interesting. In verse 14, he repeats the exact same thing. I write, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. That that's Jesus. And uh, what is he talking about? You have known him. And why would he put the children and then the fathers? <laughs> well, I think one of the reasons, one of the things that he wants to say is that the thing that we get at the beginning of the Christian life is the thing that we live on all the way to the end of the Christian life. The grace that God has forgiven our sins because of Jesus, not because we're good, but because Jesus is good and that he's become our father. That, that thing that was so inviting to us when we became Christians become, it, it remains the thing that's precious to us even at the end of our Christian life when we've been walking with God for decades and decades. And, you know, I, I don't think that we always realize that that's what the Christian life is about, is the thing that we, our first love at the beginning is, is what we cherish at the end of our Christian life. You know, I had a guy that I met with a few years ago who was saying to me that he felt like the Christian life was this kind of bait and switch, you know, where when he first became a Christian, everything was, oh, come as you are. God wants to embrace you as a sinner. He wants to forgive all your sins, and he wants to wash you, and he'll just wrap you in his arms. And he said, wow, that sounds great. And then he became a Christian, and then... <laughs> the burden started piling on and, uh, and all of a sudden it, it seemed like a bait and switch what seemed like refreshing grace all of a sudden that God turned into this God who became increasingly hard to please <laughs> had deeper and deeper expectations for me and, uh, and so the idea is that what you got at the beginning of your life is different than what you have at the end of your Christian life. But what John wants to say here is the fathers, the people who are old, who've been walking with the Lord for years and years and years, they cherish the same truth that they had when they first became a Christian, that God embraces them by free grace. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I was at a conference uh, six months ago or so, and uh, there was a, a speaker, actually it was an interview with a guy named John Perkins. I, I may have shared this with you. And John Perkins is, uh, he's in his 80s. He's an African, African-American uh, Christian who does a lot of uh, community development. Uh, he's started all kinds of mentoring programs in kind of low-income neighborhoods around the country. Um, he grew up in, uh, I think, Mississippi. His brother was killed by a white police officer, and he had to flee in the 40s from Mississippi to California. But he's just lived this tremendous life of, of serving people, um, tr you know, as God has used him, as God has transformed young people's lives to mentor them and to get them in school and, and you know, transform communities and to plant churches. And uh, during this interview, the, the guy doing the interview said, you know, you've been doing this for decades and decades and you've he's written books and you've shaped so many people. You know, how did you sustain a life of that kind of service. What, how do you do that? You know, what's your secret? <laughs> and uh, here, uh, John Perkins says, my secret is I confess my sins to God and I find out that he loves me because Jesus died on the cross even though I'm a sinner. <laughs> He's 81 years old. <laughs> doing all kinds of, of work in the community, the sustaining life in him, the thing that he still cherishes more than all of his accomplishments is that God loves him freely in Christ. That never got old. He never moved on from that.
And that's what John is saying here, is that fathers, you have known him from the beginning. You've continued to hold on to that. And, you know, you meet pe- people like that. The elderly people who have been Christians their whole lives. They've done all kinds of good things. They're about to die. And what is the thing that gives them the deepest satisfaction? Is I know I'm going to be with God when I die. And I'm going to be embraced by my Savior. And that's my, that's my great joy. <laughs> my great satisfaction is not my accomplishments. It's that I have him. And... Uh, and I think that's what John is saying here. Um, and, you know, that's one of the reasons that in this church, I'm continually, every week, talking about the gospel, <laughs> the basics. Because whether you're, you've been walking with the Lord for decades, you want that just as much as, as someone who's walking the door who's never, been, never heard the gospel before. It never gets old. And, you know, I've had that happen so many times in this church where I'll give a sermon. I gave a sermon a few months ago on conversion about becoming a Christian. You know, if you're not a Christian, how do you become a Christian? It sounds like the, something for the very beginning of a Christian life or someone who's not even a Christian. I had a number of people come up to me and say how, how much it meant to them. And they've been Christians for decades. <laughs> and they still love hearing the good news of the gospel. And so it doesn't change. And so that's one thing, is that the thing that brought us in is the thing that sustains us into the end. We never let go of the grace of God. But, of course, we know um, that there's a difference, right? There's a difference between a brand new baby Christian and John Perkins or, or the, the elderly gal who's about to go be with the Lord and has walked faithfully with him for decades. What's, what's the difference? What's happened in between? And that's where John goes to this third stage of the Christian life of growth, well, it's really actually the second, (laughs) is the young men. He says that some of us are young men, right? And he says this in verse 13, uh, in the kind of end of verse 13, I'm writing you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And in verse uh, 14, the second half of 14 again, I'm writing to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And so the thing that both times describes the people in this middle phase is that they have overcome uh, the evil one. And what that means is that for every single one of us, when we begin to taste God's grace, his goodness, and uh, all that he's done for us, the goodness of the gospel, and we become a Christian, there will come a time where we will face opposition. That there is an evil one who wants to rob us of our joy, who wants to lie to us, who doesn't want us to be God's children. He wants to destroy us. He wants to isolate us from God. He doesn't want us to hear the promises. And so every single one of us are going to face opposition. And the thing that takes us from being little children to being the fathers, the middle stage, is what happens when the opposition comes, when the evil one comes. And... um, And John, uh, it's walking through these trials. And what John says, um, how do you walk through these trials with uh, your faith intact? John says to the young men in, in verse 14 there, you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And the key that brings us into maturity is when the word of God, the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word is brought to bear on the struggles and the weakness of our life. And when those two things meet together, that is what brings us into maturity. And so how does the word abide in us? He says that the word of God abides in you. How does that happen? Well, let me just tell you, one important thing is being here. 
You know, I know that for many of us, when we think of, wow, I need the Word of God in my life, the first thing we go to is we say, I need to read my Bible more. That shouldn't be the first thing. <laughs> the first thing, because actually the Bible, I'm not sure that it says anywhere that you, you have to read your Bible on your own. I think it's a good idea. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But, um, but I think one thing it does say is that you should be here. And that every Sunday I get up and I spend a lot of time uh, thinking through God's word and I read a big passage of scripture to you and then we unpack it and we apply it to our lives and uh, the spirit of God uses this in your lives.